With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Podcast ain't played nobody. Alex Kirshner, you were supposed to be in the mountains right about now, but obviously we can't do that, so we're doing the next best thing. We are. Uh, I was planning to be down actually in Boone, North Carolina on vacation this week. We were going to do an interview down there with Appalachian State's new head coach, Sean Clark. Talk to him a little bit about how to build and sustain a a really strong program at the group of five level. And um, before that, at the FCS level, I think App State really should just be referred to as a really strong football program in general. Um, And we want to talk about that. So he was gracious enough to join us over Zoom uh, Sean Clark's been around quite a bit. He's an App State guy, played there in the 1990s uh, on the offensive line under Jerry Moore, uh, bounced around at a bunch of places uh, as an assistant, rejoined App State in 2016 uh, on Scott Satterfield's staff, stayed there uh, with Eli Drinkwitz in 2019, uh, and is now in the big chair. So we're going to talk to him a lot about um, how App has built and sustained and, and what their plans are going forward. And hopefully find some instructive lessons uh, about program building in general. He is, I mean, extremely Appalachian State, as you, as you noted. App State is, is interesting to me, and I'm glad we kind of got away to, to do this interview because I, I think a lot gets made of uh, Georgia Southern's success at the FCS level and then their success after jumping to FBS. But I, Appalachian State has done it as well, at least at the FCS level, more recently with where national championships are concerned, and then jumped, would you, if you had to kind of balance the two, would you say App State's done it better or or Southern? I think App State's done it the best in the FBS realm in terms of making that jump from the lower half of D1 to the upper half. I don't know how much more you can ace it than winning the Sun Belt almost every year since you go up, um, claiming a bunch of Power 5 victims along the way, and just you know, winning double-digit games uh, pretty much every year at this point, it's it's quite a feat. And I don't think it really has a modern analog when you look at what they've been able to do since that move. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this, uh, this interview is really interesting. Uh, it's really fun when we get to talk to him about uh, offensive line play. Um, y'all know me and y'all know how passionate I am about that. So uh, yeah, here's our interview with App State's head coach, Sean Clark. Coach, thanks for joining us. Uh, you are in a really unique position as the third coach in three years of a program that has had no scandal, has won a ton of games, hasn't really done anything other but win. Um, most new coaches talk a lot about establishing a new culture. They want to change attitudes inside the building. Uh, it seems like at App State, you already have a pretty good culture in place, at least judging by the results from the outside. How do you view your job then as a new coach um, compared to what you know, some peers of yours might have in front of them when they go into a building and really try to overhaul things? Without a question. Again, I'm fortunate enough to be able to – I played here back in the 90s, and I played for a legendary Coach Moore uh, who was here for 20-plus years, and he established a culture over time. And when Scott took over, he did the same thing. took the same culture. Then Eli came in, and he had his little flair. But down deep, it was still the App State culture. 
And I think that's one thing we have in, on the mountain right now is we have tradition and we have culture and our kids know how to win. So right now for me, I'm just trying to have sustained success. And how do you do that is by recruiting the right kind of guys. And every person that we recruit doesn't fit to App State. So we do a great job of uh, our evaluations. We do a great job of getting our families up here in Boone to get around their families because we tell them it's not a four-year decision, it's a 40-year decision. Yeah. And, and we get the right kind of guys. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons we've had so much success is because we get really Appalachian guys. Yeah, I do want to talk about uh, definitely what an App State guy is shortly. I'm curious, though, like culture, the word gets tossed around so much, um, including by coaches who fail miserably um, and, <laughs> and don't do well. Um, what does it – and obviously that hasn't happened with you guys – what does it really entail? Um, like, what's what's an example of like if I were to look at your program, sit inside your building for a week, and see culture in action um, at App State? What is it? Well, I, I think you go back. It's a player-led programs. Uh, I think that's the biggest. Uh, when I talk culture, it's player-led programs. As a as a coach, if you don't have to sit there and every single day be working on making sure the guys are going to class, making sure not they're skipping workouts. Uh, that's where you get issues, in my opinion. So for us, we like, it goes back to culture. You know, this is, this is my fourth university I worked for. And every job I went into, we had to try to change the culture because it was a losing, well, a losing program, but teams that hadn't won before. And so when you come back to App, it, it was a breath of fresh air. And just because um, – as a, as the O-line coach, I didn't have to worry about my guys missing class or skipping workouts or doing the wrong, doing the wrong things outside of football. Um, we don't have many police calls, if you say. I mean, our guys <laughs> – when you're in Boone, uh, you have to try to get to Boone, North Carolina. You just don't pull off the highway and show up in Boone. Um, yeah. So it's one of those situations that – it goes back to a player-led program. And I can speak examples of the last 20 years of guys that – uh, seniors that take charge of the program and and lead the way for our coaches. When you talk about being player led, coach, uh, right now, obviously, we're recording this March thirty first. Uh, we are kind of in the thick of COVID and 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 quarantine and all that kind of stuff. How does that player led culture? How is that player led culture kind of serving you now that they're far flung and you can't get them every day one on one? Well, I think it's back to accountability. Uh, I know that I speak. We have a, a group. Um, it's a leadership group here on our team, and, and I speak to those guys on a daily basis. And those guys are reaching out to their play, to the, their uh, teammates to make sure those guys are doing the right thing. Who knows where this is going to take us? I mean, it could be a situation where we come back in July and have three or four weeks before our first game, or it could be we come back in October. We don't know what's happening. So um, right now our, our leadership group is holding our other guys accountable and we're seeing that that through the internet. Those guys are, are working out, showing pictures, videos, and sharing those to us. And it's it's neat to see. So you you in your conversations, kind of daily with that leadership council, are you are you getting reports from them? Are you getting like, hey, we're we're kind of keeping track of the freshmen, that kind of stuff? I, I wouldn't say you know, keeping reports on them, uh, but in the same sense, uh, they're keeping those guys accountable. And and you know. <laughs> We're stuck in a situation right now. All the gyms are closed. Yeah, yeah. So we went from sending those guys a workout for a gym. Now it's a home workout. I mean, you're talking about old school Rocky Four stuff uh, where you're doing push-up setups. We have guys <laughs> and logs. I mean, we have guys pushing trucks. 
Um, it's old school. And because we're in a situation, we're in unprecedented times right now. And we're, they, every day we're learning something different um, about the virus and how it affects our, our sport. And we're just doing the best we can to stay on top of things. I want to ask you about your staff. Uh, something that is interesting to me uh, is that last year and under Coach Drinkwitz, I think there were four or five assistants who'd hung around from the previous year um, with Scott Satterfield. That included yourself. Um, I know you have, I think, just a couple like holdovers on the staff, but a bunch of former App State guys, both players or coaches who you've brought back um, to coach all over the staff, you know, on both sides of the ball. I'm curious, uh, what is the benefit to you of getting like app guys to be part of that staff? Um, people do pay a lot of lip service to, you know, it's important to have ties to the university um, at pretty much every school. And I'm curious, um, given what you've told us about the unique culture that you've built at app, um, what is significant about that institutional memory of having those guys back? Well, I start off on the defensive side of the ball and Dell Jones, who's been here 25 years, as an assistant coach and a coordinator, he went to Louisville with, with Scott. And I knew if I had the opportunity to bring him back as a defensive coordinator, that I was going to do all I can or all I could to get him back here. Uh, he knows the system that I want to run. He knows the culture. He knows the program. That was very important for me to get a guy back that knows that. Uh, Mark DeBastiani, who is our safeties coach, he was, a, he was a coach here when I was a player in 1995. And I followed his career. And I watched when I was a player, I watched how the – they are, my teammates gravitated toward him, toward him, and I just knew what a difference he could make for our program. He's been a defensive coordinator at uh, several HBCU uh, schools, and everywhere he's went, he's been a winner. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, um, it's a, I wouldn't say a holdover, but Justin Watts has been here five years. And he's a guy I'm, I'm very familiar with, Justin, and how he recruits, and he knows the program. He knows how we're recruiting things. Um, Nick Cardwell is a former player here. Uh, Nick went to Louisville as a quality control coach. I had a chance to bring him back um, as the offensive line coach. Uh, he knows how I want it done. He knows the, the the attitude that I want those guys to play with up front. And he, he is a true mountaineer. And, again, things that I wanted to be instilled in, in our program, those three or four guys knows what it takes to win here. And – that's the one thing I wanted to do. And again, everyone I hired, I want those guys to be difference makers in our kids' lives and yeah. not just coaches, but again, mentors and not to show, not just football coach, but what kind of dad they are, what kind of husband they are. Cause I think that goes, it's more than just football here. And we want to make sure our, our players know that we're, we're true men. I've heard uh, a lot about Boone. We were actually uh, initially, I think we were hoping to record this in Boone because I was going to. He come was down pumped there. to go to Boone. Yeah, man. I was I'm very excited. You, he was excited. I was, I was very excited. My girlfriend's family is from Boone, and they have a place on there, so I was very excited to get there. I'm curious, like, do you uh, do you feel like what I've gathered from it? I'm excited to see it at some point. I haven't done it yet, but that it's a unique place. That it's you know because of where it's located, it's somewhat insulated. Um, that having coaches who understand the town and understand like the very unique DNA of App State provides any kind of advantage, whether that's in recruiting and player development once you actually get guys there? I do. I mean, it goes back to when you're recruiting guys for Boone. I think the, the one thing we do is we get kids on campus. And if we get a kid on campus, we have a great shot of getting that, the kid to commit to Appalachian State University. Um, when they see our facilities, uh, we're, in the, we're in the process right now. We're building a $60 million complex in the end zone. Um, state of the art. Uh, it's 
a four-story building. Our administration's done a great job with it. It'll be the best 30,000-seat venue in, college, in all of college football. There'll be bigger things in our state, but nothing better. Uh, but, again, it goes back to getting um, not just the kid, but we try to get the parents on campus to show what kind of education we have. You know, we're in the top 20 uh, universities in the, in the South. I mean, we have majors that, that can compete with anybody in our, in our, our region. And once they see what we have to offer, uh, we have a good chance of getting those guys. Uh, last year when you guys played Charlotte, um, you know, combined to score almost 100 points. But I, I think the most interesting part of that game, and I don't know how many times this has happened, but there were two offensive line coaches who were offensive coordinators in that game, yourself and, and Charlotte's former OC, uh, Alex Atkins. I, I wonder kind of on uh, on a 30,000-foot level, why don't we see more offensive line coaches calling plays? Well, you know, I think offensive line coaches get labeled sometimes or just – just guys that just know the trenches, but tell them about it. <laughs> I, I do feel, and I've said this many a times, that the offensive line coach has the feel for the whole whole team. And I say that because uh, most of the time we get the lowest denom- lowest denominator athlete on our program, <laughs> and, and we have to make sure we get those guys working as one group. And and Many corners I've been around, they have all these great ideas of I can do this, we can do that. Well, if the offensive line can't do it, then how in the hell is the whole team going to do it? <laughs> so we go back to, hey, what do we do best up front? And then how can we translate that into our, our whole system as an offense? And I do believe that you'll see more offensive line coaches be coordinators and be head coaches here in the near future. So do you – I mean, when you describe that, are you talking about from like a, a holistic kind of offensive sense – you feel that you kind of think protection first and then everything else. And then, but maybe other teams are more thinking route concepts and route tree and all that kind of stuff. And we'll figure out the protection later. Exactly. Uh, most coordinators, they want to throw it a thousand times a game. And, you know, if we can't block them, then it doesn't matter what they do out, out front on the sides. I mean, so what, what do we do best and how can we translate that into our, our system? And if you look at our, if you look at our team over the last five years, uh, we have been a run-heavy first offense and be able to launch the ball down the field uh, when we need to. And I, and I truly believe if if you can run the football at will, then your passing game opens up exponentially. And most of our most of our big plays this past year have been down the field shots because they have to bring a, a single high safety or no safeties in the box and or all the safeties in the box stop the run, then your pass game opens up. There is a, I love that you kind of bring that up because there's a there's a famous story about Steve Spurrier. When Spurrier draws up plays, he doesn't draw up protections. He just draws up routes and tells somebody else to figure it out. <laughs> uh, I, you you talked about before you kind of took over in that bowl game at the end of 2018, calling plays. You talked about needing to go from the field to the booth. What are the differences there for you about watching a game and calling a game on the field versus in the booth? Well, well, I, I know when you're on the field, you're really into the game. Uh, as a position coach, you're watching your position and trying to give them a situation, try to give them tips to um, how, how to block things better, how to get things done. When you go to the box, it's, it's almost kind of like being in outer space sometimes because it's quiet up there. And <laughs> it's, it's really, um, it was in the Superdome. So it looked like you were on, you were on Mars. Oh, I've been in that press box. That thing's on the roof. It, it's on the roof. And, to be honest with you, it, it kind of gave you a way and you could really think in between series. You could uh, get some suggestions from other assistant coaches on the field. 
And I, for me personally, it was the best thing to do because, you know, I'm very emotional during the game as a position, when I was a position coach. And if I didn't get away from that, I would have been, been the cheerleader on the sidelines. So I want to get away and, and make sure I can see the whole picture. And when you're on the field, you, it's, you're limited to what you can see, but when you're in the box, you get a whole uh, vision of the whole, whole field. Yeah, I, uh, when uh, what Coach Clark is kind of talking about here, and I'm talking to our audience here, you know, the offensive lineman will kind of come off the field and, you know, maybe Coach Clark's got a whiteboard right here and he's drawing it up and saying, what are you seeing? How do you block this? That kind of stuff. Like, that's what he talks about and kind of like being like really into the game. Um, I, I think it's interesting. You kind of needed to chill out and kind of go upstairs. Um, and so, you know, it sounds like you trust Nick, your, your offensive line coach, to really kind of, you know, channel you on the field during a game when you can't be there right and the one thing that nick and we talk the same language so as a series is going on he could tell me listen we have different calls for things so if we have a zone pressure from from the from the boundary call it a pirate if we have it from the field we call it a stiller uh so as we're talking it wasn't hey, a zone dogging from the boundary of the field hey, hey listen coach we're, we're getting a bunch of stillers so right now i know exactly what's happening what play we want to go to, or a hey, coach? It's we're getting bare cover one, you know, and I can see it from the field. So what do we go to there? What's our best answer for for that defense? So I, I do think as the when the offensive line coach talks the same language as the coordinator, that uh, you have a chance to be successful. I have to ask. I'm I'm from Pittsburgh. I noticed that the calls there are pirates. You're speaking and his language. Do, you you are speaking my language. Do we have any local ties uh, that I that I need to be aware of between Pittsburgh and App State, or is this a coincidence? It's just a coincidence, right there. Just you know, over time, this is, these are the names you picked up. And again, yeah. Hey, we we steal from each other. Uh, understandable. <laughs> understandable. Yeah. Came up with, uh, but you know, we, I, I coached the offensive line for 20 years. And yeah. I worked for Danny Hope, and and those are the names he he established when he worked for Howard Schnellenberger. Okay, so that goes way back. Um, those names, and uh, when new coaches come in, they have different calls for different pressures or different fronts, and um, sometimes I'll I'll change those names, but for the most part, they're going to be things I understand because I've done it so long this way. Uh, people who cover college football and cover recruiting. I think tend to regard you guys as really good at getting your type of player. And you, you mentioned this earlier, you won app state kind of player. Uh, pretty much every coach says that stars don't matter. We want guys who fit our culture. It does seem like you guys are uniquely onto something here, given the the gulf between your on-field results and what the recruiting rankings would say. Like what is an app state player um, first in terms of physical attributes, but also just in terms of, of program fit. Well, I think if you look at our program as a whole, I think we run very well. And we all, we will always recruit speed over size. And that's the biggest thing that gives us an advantage of speed. I'm talking about from the offensive line all the way back to your the secondary, receivers, et cetera. Um, we want guys who can run, who are tough, and who are smart. Those are the three marching orders, marching orders we go by right there. Um, you look at our offensive line, uh, we're not very big. Our starting center is six foot, 265 pounds, but he is one of the best football players I've ever coached. Uh, our right guard is 6'2", 285. Our left guard is 6'2", 285. Our left tackles really 6'3", 285, 290. And our right tackle, he's our biggest guy as a redshirt freshman. He's probably 6'3", 300. But all five of those guys can run. And when you put the tape on, 
you see the advantage we have over different programs. Uh, you turn the North Carolina tape on, you turn the South Carolina tape on, our guys up front are really dominating the game. And that was a difference maker for us to get a chance to win against a Power 5 program. You know, when you talk about speed on the offensive line, what does that allow you to do? Does that allow you to do more zone stuff because they can get out in space and, and get guys and you don't have to worry about plotting? Without question. And, and our base offense, we're, we're, we call it the wide zone. Uh, and it goes back, to, you know, for years. But they can only take away so many things. If they take away the outside zone, we come back to the inside zone and vice versa. You know, teams that want to load the box on the inside zone, the edges are, are wide open. So if we can reach the end and, and make the make the read clear for the running back, that gives us uh, such an advantage. And sometimes when we play other teams, you know, we reach them too well, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, and that causes issues. What 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 does that mean when you when you're reach blocking too well on the outside? Well, for for example, if I'm a right tackle and run the outside zone to the right, his landmark is facing his armpit, foot, and his crotch. We try to get that going vertical as fast as we can. Um, sometimes we're overreaching him sometimes. So, you know, it, it causes problems sometimes, but I'll take that issue any day of the week because we can make it right through, it, through, through the adjacent lineman. Um, but, again, uh, we want speed, athletic, and guys who are tough and smart. For those linemen, kind of what is – speed i guess is it more of you know the short area the the 10 yard part of their 40 when you test them that kind of stuff um you know people have different opinions on that um we come to camp if if one of our, if a guy we recruit if he can't run a 5140 which i think is very fast for an offensive lineman then we don't recruit him uh you know you, you look at uh, bear hunter bear hunter was a defensive end he was a quarterback in high school we recruited him as a defensive end and he's a four eight four nine guy, almost almost three hundred pounds. Uh, Ryan Newsel was a tight end in high school. Uh, those guys can run. So um, some call it short area quickness. I just call it fast. It's game speed. <laughs> and if you can play, you can play. But again, we want guys that can run. Do you, in, as far as an offensive line developer, do you find it? Uh, a little bit easier maybe to work with maybe smaller offensive linemen because you don't have that acclimation period where they're coming in and maybe they got to shed some baby fat or they don't know how to work with their body or play within their body. Well, I go back to when I was at Purdue as the offensive line coach in the big 10. Um, we were, you know, when you were recruiting us, Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state, Wisconsin, you're not the first of the pecking order. Right. And so, you know, where do we get our advantage? And here at Appalachian state also, you know, to me, we let, we're labeled as a group of five. I consider we're an FBS program because of our, our resume over the past few years. Um, we're not – at Appalachian State, we're not going to get a guy who's 6'4", 285 pounds, who runs like a deer, strong as an ox, smart. Those guys are going to go to the Alabamas, et cetera, of the state. So where do we find our niche? And our niche is to get guys who – and, again, I go back. We're a developmental program. So – most of our linemen don't start as a freshman. I've only had one freshman start. There are two freshmen start in 20 years of coaching. You know, one's still playing for the Tennessee Titans, and the other one's Noah Hannon. Um, so <clears throat> we have a plan. We're, we're going to develop our players. We get, get them as a freshman, make sure the, the, the weight room is correct, the, the string numbers are good, redshirt those guys, play a little bit their freshman freshman year and hopefully their starters by the salt. I think that last year on your roster you had 48 players from North Carolina, but it struck me that 
You only had six from Greensboro, I think five from Charlotte, one from Raleigh. I think you had 18 players from Florida, one from Miami, maybe a handful more from elsewhere around South Florida, um, and nobody from the other big population hubs in that state. Um, so to go and find these players, it seems like you are maybe not always going to the places where there are the most, you know, the most recruiting eyeballs, the most, the most scouts, the most recruiting agency types. Um, how do you figure out just geographically where you're going to go to find these guys who fit the app mold? Well, back in the old days, you could outwork people. And that's before the internet and uh, 247 and rivals. You could outwork people and you know, work a little harder and find things. Now, you know, with all the technology we have, it's hard to, to outwork people, to be honest with you. Because if, if Appalachian State offers a kid, he's going to put it on Twitter and everybody else is going to start following it. <laughs> um, yeah. So in saying that, you know, we're going to, we're going to recruit uh, in our region, the Southeast region, always start in North Carolina. I think that's, we have to do a great job in North Carolina and North Carolina and South Carolina has been very good to us over the past few years. Uh, South Carolina, we've, you know, I don't know the numbers right now, but it's, it's been very, very good to us. The players we're getting out of South Carolina, because if you're not going to Clemson or South Carolina, all right, what's your next best choice? It's Appalachian state. Uh, within that three or four hour radius there. Um, but again, we'll, we'll start in North Carolina and work our way south and, and get the best uh, players we can possibly get. I, as someone who has been around the state of North Carolina for a while uh, throughout your career, I wonder how have you seen Charlotte just grow as a metro area and a, a you know a factory for football players? I know you don't have a ton of Charlotte guys, but you know, you've seen that as Atlanta's obviously grown as, as a hotbed of talent. How have you seen Charlotte grow? Well, when I, when I first got back here in 2016, that was that was my recruiting area for the last three or four years, and you you watch um, the, the the football in the Charlotte area, it gets better and better every year. The coaches are better and better every year. We're getting some great coaches uh, in the city in the city, the Metroplex area there. Um, so again, that's going to be our hub. And the one thing I did, every coach on staff, so we have uh, ten full time guys now. Each coach has ten or fifteen schools in that area. And we have to do a great job trying to put a fence around Charlotte. Uh, now, I understand we have North Carolina, uh, NC State, Duke, Wake. They're going to get their guys. But I know Will Healy's doing a great job recruiting the city. And we have to do our, our part to make sure we're, doing, we're getting those guys to app. Can I ask – I was going to ask specifically about that. There's three, you know, really interesting programs that seem to have a lot of upside in the so-called Group of Five conferences right there in – you know, within several hours of each other, not completely close to one another, but with you guys, with East Carolina and with Charlotte. Uh, one thing that strikes me about Charlotte is that, you know, I imagine culturally it's a lot different than Boone because um, you're in, you know, the city of Charlotte as opposed to on the mountain. Uh, how much of this recruiting of the recruiting battles that you might have with those types of schools comes down to like a kid wants to live on the mountain, a kid wants to live in a little bit more of a rural place. Like, are there kids that you have to cross off your board? Cause like, he's not going to want to come up the mountain to live for four years. Without question, you know, and hopefully when we have kids on campus, it's a beautiful day in Boone, the sun's shining, blue skies, but sometimes we're not that fortunate. Sometimes it's foggy, rainy, snowy. And sometimes mama don't like going from curves sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we, we've lost some, some great players just because of the day of the week they came to Boone. And if they were a different day, uh, we'd probably have a better chance of getting them. Um, but you're correct what you're saying. Uh, if we ask the kids, hey, listen, are, are, 
do you like the mountains? Do you like, do you love football? Is this something you want to do 24 hours a day, seven days a week? If, if they're not answering yes, then they're probably our kind of guys. If they're looking for the, the, the limelight, the city, other things to do outside of football, then Boone's probably not the best, best place for them. But if they, we always say, if you want to win championships and get a world-class education, App State's a place for you. The FBS transition that the program went through, um, I know that you were not there right when it happened. You came back a couple of years after. But was there anything about the roster building techniques that the program deployed around that time that you think enabled you guys to not struggle for several years before getting your bearings at FBS? Well, I don't know really the, the answer on that. I know you, when you go from 63 scholarships to 85 scholarships, yeah. there's going to be a, a, a lapse sometimes. Uh, I give credit to Coach Moore, uh, the roster he built when we were FCS program. And then when Scott came in, I give him a lot of credit. He, we have some connections at Georgia Military College uh, down in South Georgia. And we were able to get those scholarships, uh, quality players to fill those spots. We're, we weren't just taking guys to take guys. We were taking great football players. Um, but if you go back even when we were FCS, you know, when I was playing here, uh, we played Wake Forest three out of the four years I was here. We beat those guys. So we can compete against the ACC programs. We took Auburn uh, down to the last play in 98-99. You go to the big house, you beat Michigan. Um, so we've always had great players here. And so the transition wasn't as hard as what people, some people might have thought. You guys have scheduled, you mentioned some of the, the power fives that you've played, have scheduled, it seems like pretty ambitiously for a long time. Um, and everyone's familiar with some of those games. And, you know, there are a couple in the last few years that um, obviously you beat both North Carolina and South Carolina last year. You almost get Penn State a few years ago, et cetera. Um, I know you got Wake in Wisconsin this year. How much of trying to punch up at those schools that have more resources is part of just like the the experience that you guys are trying to provide your your players as well as your fans? Like how important is it to you guys to schedule very aggressively just for the identity of the program? Uh, I think it's very important. Again, we always talk about we want to give our players a world-class experience to go play some of the greatest venues in college football. And we've done that going to Tennessee, Michigan, and um, Penn State, like you mentioned. Um, I would love, uh, in my opinion, I think we should play an in-state school every year. I would love to have a, a rivalry with East Carolina. I would love to have a rivalry with uh, Charlotte every year. And I would want to. I like to play North Carolina, NC State, Wake every year. I think it's great for college football. I think the fans want that. Um, if if uh, NC State plays Texas Tech, who cares? I mean, but if I mean, is Texas Tech going to travel to Carter Finley and fill the stadium? No. But with Appalachian State and that faithful we have here, our fans travel very well. Um, so I think it's great for college football. You now you go back to we played Charlotte. We set an attendance record at Charlotte when we played there for them. I mean, they brought in, I think, eight or 10,000 extra seats, yeah. and we sold that out. Uh, we play, we go to um, uh, Coastal Carolina, the largest crowd at Coastal, in Coastal Carolina history for football. So our fans travel well, and I would love to see us have a rivalry game with East Carolina, UNC Charlotte, uh, in any school in the state. I think it's great for college football. I think it's the fans want it, and so do we. When you bring people in and when you bring kids in, you know, the, the kids that you're recruiting now are maybe five, six, seven years old in 2007. 
I'm sure you guys have signs about the Michigan win somewhere or somebody mentions it or something. Uh, do they know off the top of their head that y'all beat Michigan? Like, do you have to kind of explain that now? They, they have no idea. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, as a player here, we just tell old war stories. When I played here, we beat Wake Forest. And then our, those kids don't care. Um, <laughs> you know. But what we've done, we, we, we were really, um, you know, selling the North Carolina win, the South Carolina win. There's a small picture of the Michigan game because that will always be etched in, in, in history through all college football. It really changed our university after that win. Uh, really put us on the on the track to to go to F, uh, FBS and but again those kids they they couldn't tell you who played in that game or what happened. Uh, all I know is we beat North Carolina, we beat South Carolina, uh, almost beat Penn State and, and Tennessee. You got to get Armonte Edwards back to talk to these kids, man. Tell you what, he he is one of the best players that's ever put black and gold on without question. I have to say that if I were an advisor to like a Power Five athletic director. I would probably tell them, do not play those guys. It's a bad idea. Uh, you're getting into some trouble. Just being honest with you, if I were saying like, all right, you know, your, your ticket sales point is, is fantastic. It's absolutely true. But I do want to ask, has it gotten, and I don't know how much you've delved into this since you've been in the, in the big chair, but has it gotten harder to get people to agree to games down the road because they're like, well, we don't really feel like losing to App State? Without question. That's if you look at our future schedules, because you know, we're going to Texas A&M here in a few years uh, because we couldn't get anybody to play us. Uh, San Diego, we going to Wisconsin. We would love to be here close to where we could drive or our fans could see it. But, you know, we have to fill a schedule. And anytime we can play a, a Power 5 program with the history of Wisconsin and Texas A&M, we'll take that. Um, but it has been difficult scheduling. I'm, I'm in, now that I'm in the head chair, um, I'm in the meetings trying to schedule uh, teams, uh, uh, games, and some teams don't want to play us. We, we've tried several uh, Power 5 programs within five, six hours from here, and they won't play us. A theme that we talk a lot about um, at our website and just in our little corner of the internet in college football is to just be happy with, with who you are. You know, if you're Alabama, of course, you want to win national titles. Maybe if you're Army, you just want to beat Navy. If you're a team that just wants to make a bowl, that's great. Uh, and if you want to win FCS titles, that's great too. Um you guys are striking because you've, as a school, seem to have come at this a little bit differently. Um, you know, obviously a dynasty in the 2000s in FCS, a great program at that level for a long time. And then you decided as a school, um, and I know that this might have been during a time, during years that you weren't there, but I'm asking because you're an app guy anyway, um, that you decided you wanted more. You wanted to play in FBS. I'm curious what you sensed uh, it takes to make app people happy, given the expectations that this program seems to have set for itself year in, year out. Right. Well, I think it starts from our administration. I think Chancellor Everest does a great job. She's a football chancellor. She wants to win. Uh, Doug Gillen, our athletic director, he has given me everything we have to have to be successful uh, with a new building, how we, how we feed our kids, how we train. Um, but in saying that, to keep an app fan happy, that's going to be hard. Um, we went 13 – we went 13-1 last year. And when I got the head job, I had a fan send me a note said, "Hey, this one with the Cotton Bowl next year." Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> hey, I do too. Okay, but you know, you know, our fans they want to win, and uh, and I want to be the head coach 
of a program like that. I don't want to be settling for a 500 every year. I want, a chance, I want to be able to play for championships and, and give our guys a world-class experience and education. And um, as long as I'm here, that'll, that'll be our goal. How different is it being a football school, probably one of the only like football, football schools in your state? And everybody else cares about basketball, maybe first or, or at least as equal as football. But, you know, at App, it is about football in, in North Carolina. Uh, again, um, it is a football school, and we have several other sports that, that we support. But again, it comes down to Black Saturday and Boone. And um, you know, whenever you're filling your stands, we, we sell. It's about every every game we sell at home. Um, it's important to be at a football school because it is important to everyone in, in the town, the state, and the surrounding uh, surrounding states. Uh, I'm just very uh, very fortunate to be the leader here at Appalachian. Do you think that in general, just curious for your impression of this, uh, that the fan base is glad to be um, playing FBS ball, contending, winning most years, your conference um, versus continuing to be, you know, one of the top two or three schools in FCS and, and winning national championships often? Well, I think our fans just want to win. Yeah. And so just win, period. Winning is winning. Winning is winning. Yeah. And we, we talk all the time. We call it winners win around here. Yeah. And. And that's, that's been our motto for the last five years is, hey, hey, what can we do to be the best program in the Sunbelt Conference? That's our goal every year. We, have our, we, we want to win the Sunbelt Conference in a bowl game with class, integrity, and academic, academic excellence. So that's our order right there to be the very best where we are. Do you feel uh, – I felt this, so I, I would, I'll just say off top and then I'll ask you. I felt like last year it was a little odd that you guys did not seem to get a great deal of hype for the Group of Fives New Year Six Bowl um, throughout the year. I think the the impression was you'd have to go undefeated, and a one-loss year wouldn't do it um, just because the AAC has that reputation. Did you – I mean, ultimately you lost one game and, and that kept you out of that bowl game. Did you feel uh, in any way like the Sun Belt – you know, deserves for purposes of that specific bowl game debate more respect? Is it something that you worry about at all? Not really. Uh, that's out of our control. I know if you look at the Sun Belt from top to bottom, it's one of the, the premier group of five conferences out there. Uh, you got Lafayette. Uh, Lafayette's a great program in the West. Arkansas State, um, App State, Georgia Southern. Georgia State's an up-and-coming program. Sean Elliott, App grad who's doing great things there. But from top to bottom, I'll put our conference against any group of five program out there. Yeah. And, and again, I think our, our, our resume speaks for itself. I mean, we talk about a lot of firsts. It's the first time in Sunbelt history that, the, that we had a, a football team that was ranked for two weeks in a row. It's the first time in Sunbelt history that that uh, team has won two power five games. So I think our commissioner, uh, Commissioner Keith Gill, has done a great job of scheduling and promoting our conference. And I think we'll see those fruits down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Coach, I'll, I'll let you go after I ask you this. Uh, there have been a bunch of iterations of App State football, some good teams going back to the middle of the last century. You had a national contender, you know, 80s, 90s. You become a championship program in the mid-2000s. Uh, you have a big famous upset in that period as well. And then you're an FBS startup that goes on and achieves pretty unusual success very quickly. I ask this because it feels like the program is always punching up. What is the next thing that you would like to see this program uh, achieve, reach as a you know as a as a team, and um, you know what what does that look like for you? 
Well, we always talk about sustained success here at Appalachian State. And with the landscape of college football changing year in and year out, who knows where it's going to take Appalachian State. I know that um, there's been talk about different conferences and this and that. And, again, my, my message to the administration is we want to be the very best in the Sun Belt, and then we'll go from there. Uh, I just know that what we had to offer here in Boone is something very special. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, you had a chance to go world-class education and play for championships. And it's not a four-year decision, it's a 40-year decision. And I just know if, if people come to Boone and win championships, get a great degree, we've done our job as coaches. Coach, I really appreciate your time and, and for joining us on the show this week. Uh, you and your staff and all your players, please stay healthy in this time. And, uh, Man, I hope we kick some balls in uh, in September and, and get this season going. I appreciate it, guys. Make sure you come to Boone and visit. Will do. Will do. Run us up here. I'll take you out to eat sometime, okay? Fantastic. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So that is Sean Clark, the head coach at App State. Uh, Richard, good talk. What I, I bet that you have things to say about his discussion of offensive line coach opportunities, philosophy. Oh, of course, of course. As a former awful offensive lineman, um, I the topic of offensive linemen calling plays and calling the offense is it. I do not understand. Like, first of all, it's a stigma. That's what it is. There's a stigma around offensive line coaches that they don't know what they're doing, that they don't know the broader context of the offense. I mean, first of all, the run game aside, what people don't get about the passing game is that protection schemes change depending on how deep the passing patterns are on top of them. Um you know, it depends on who's in the passing patterns. You can obviously block with five, six, seven, or eight pass blockers, depending on how many receivers a team wants in a pattern on a given play. Um, you know, there is a kind of a debate in the offensive line world about pass protection, about who should call it. Some teams think that their quarterback should call it. Uh, other teams think that the center should call it and the offensive line should deal with it because the offensive line is the people that are blocking. So protection is way more tied into the passing game than just the example that I gave, which is the old Spurrier story that Spurrier would just come up and draw some routes on the board and tell somebody else to figure out the protections. Um, I think your offensive line coach should absolutely be integral in your in calling plays in more than just being a run game coordinator which Sean was before he became kind of the the offensive play caller co-oc so it's yeah. something that I'm passionate about when you think about the architecture and how your offense is built particularly when you have an offensive lineman who like coach Clark is not afraid to take shots you know what's funny to me is if I hear like a Spurrier or a Leach talk about how Actually, I don't give a shit about these fucking protection, you know, like, <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, if, as long as you can talk about that passionately and be like, I don't care about that. I'm going to just beat you with great route concepts and, and great timing between my quarterback and receiver. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then you hear uh, Sean Clark talk about how you really can't run their offense without uh, having a very well-defined blocking scheme and the right type of players in the offensive line. I'm like, wow. 
Mike Leach. That's that would be completely reckless, Spurrier. Uh, so it just goes to say that if, if a coach is a good salesman, he can he can get me to buy into pretty much any scheme uh, as a a workable idea. I mean, offensive line is the most unique position in team sports. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Yeah. Um, so App State is as we talked about during the the interview. Always punching up, uh, always trying to be uh, a winning and and b I think enhancing its status in the sport, and it's done so very successfully. My big question is: if there is football in twenty twenty, who are they beating between Wake Forest and Wisconsin? Both are just Wake. Ooh, because you know I... you know it's going to be at least one of them. It's not they're not going zero and two in those games. I am very curious about how Wisconsin and Jim Leonard's defense will try to stop uh, what App tries to do. Um, I think that App, I because of how Wisconsin lines up in that kind of two four five we talked about on the show before. Um, you know they've got a lot of you know linebackers standing up that kind of stuff. That that while that gives your protection issues in the run game, we talked about zone in in the interview, wide zone or outside zone. They're a little bit different, but for purposes of the exercise, wide zone and outside zone basically the same. Um, and so for those plays where you're blocking in space more than it's kind of a uh, more than it's kind of a between the tackle type run game, I'm interested in how App State matches up how their offensive line scheme. Uh, overlaps with what Wisconsin's able to do on defense. Um, now, I, I don't know if they're going to have on App State's defense, I don't know if they're going to be big enough to stand up to what Wisconsin's going to try to do. Uh, but I am interested about how App, because if App could put up some points in that game, uh, we may have something pretty unique. Yeah, that's one to absolutely mark down in the event that we get to play football this year. Uh, but I think that regardless, uh, You'd have to look at App State as once again uh, a frontline Sun Belt contender, and uh, I think in that discussion, yeah, he he did not take the bait when I asked him if he felt that the Sun Belt uh, should get a little bit more credence in in New Year's Six bowl debates. Yeah, uh, I thought he was gonna get. I thought I was, he was gonna politic. I was a I was hoping for some politicking there, to be honest, because I felt like last year, um, you know, I would have liked to have seen App State in that game against Penn State in the Cotton Bowl. And I understand that Memphis had a good case. Um, but we're going to see how it goes. Um, and it was a really a really good uh, bit of insight to talk to him. Yeah, we uh, we appreciate Coach Clark and, and App State for helping us set that up and, and coming on the show. Uh, Alex, be well, stay well, and I'll see you next week. Be well, stay well.